welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. Uh, and I am your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. Ryan, how are you? And what have you been playing? <laughs> Thank you. That was, what a nice, uh, what a nice welcome. Uh, I want to some drama. <laughs> uh, I am good. I am good. Um, and I have been playing, actually I was playing some Crusader Kings 3 because um, it came to Game Pass, which was very exciting. I was uh, playing the Duke of Munster, taking over Ireland. You Munster and everybody? You're yeah. The, you're the Munster of... I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> the <sorry>. Munster of <laughs> Ireland. Uh, and that was going good uh, until my leader died, and then his son took over. So I lost a bunch of land, and then also my daughter slept with my priest, and that was a whole issue because she was <laughs> supposed to... That? Yeah, she was... Well, the problem is that she's betrothed to the King of Scotland, and now that is going to fall right apart. So it's a whole thing, but it's okay. We'll, oh we'll get God, through it together. Yeah. <laughs> the priest, too. Yeah, and you can't kick him out because uh, in, in the uh, Catholic religion, apparently, in Ireland, only the Pope can remove a priest, so I can't do anything about it. Um, See, th- that's the... That's the problem when you have a sexy priest. Just, <laughs> yeah. Hell just comes out of everywhere. It's just the worst. Yeah. Every I, priest needs to be ugly or else what's the point? Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's a hot take. I'm going to probably get a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Um, yeah. So I was playing some of that, which is really fun. I love I love those Farks games. Um, still fiddling around Animal Crossing and still fiddling around on um, Dead Cells. Feeling uh, still getting mm. a little stuck on that, but that's okay. I'm just bad at games. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, how are you? What have you been playing? Uh, Ryan, I had a little bit of a crisis on my hands. and Not the serious kind, uh, mm-hmm. but I, uh, if you don't know me, I take a lot of pride in my hair, which sounds very superficial, and it is. <laughs> First <laughs> to admit it. Uh, but if you uh, take pride in your hair as well, then you know the fear and the, the dread you feel when your hair gel is discontinued. It's just, just the worst. It literally oh, is just the no. worst. I was going everywhere with my hair gel like a... Like a uh, you know, like loser, and uh, it's just gone. It's just discontinued. Luckily, I found a new one, uh, and it's working pretty well. So, for all you storygoers listening, I know. Do you take a deep breath, relax? I have found my new hair gel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I know. Crisis averted, right? Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've been playing, still playing a lot of Hades. Actually, I found myself. When I edit these podcasts, I just can't sit still and listen again mm-hmm. to the podcast. Not like they're bad or anything, they're obvious. They're fantastic. Um, but just listening to it, just sitting and listening to it is impossible. So I actually play Hades, which is perfect. But when I see an error, I cause the game, fix the error, keep going. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also finished Scotia Shima, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, actually, probably will go back to it eventually. Well, I'll go back to it sooner rather than later because I just want to replay it again and just be a ninja the whole time. Like, so, you know, they try to make you be a samurai, and it's like, no, there's there's absolutely no way I'm right. be the ninja. Um, so yeah, other than that, it's all I've really been playing. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited. I am so excited. Oh, I am so excited for Mario 64 to come back on the Switch. Oh my Solid. god, that yeah, is that's and Sunshine. Oh yeah. man, it's probably been like 16 years since I played Mario Sunshine, something like that. It is crazy. I and I had I had right, and I'm sure every video game uh, enthusiast has had the situation. I had a Super Mario Sunshine towel when it came out i don't know how i got it i think my cousin worked at toys r us uh, and he uh, he gave it to me but 
I lost it. I think I was at my uncle's house and I just didn't get it back and it's gone. And can you imagine how cool that would be if I still had that towel and yeah, just come back out for really the Switch? Cool. Oh my, I would probably go outside and flaunt it. No one really would probably know what it is. But man, I would feel so cool. <laughs> but it's not happening. I lost it. So, Uncle Mark, if you find my towel, <laughs> I really appreciate you. Please, Uncle it. Mark. Find that towel. <laughs> you know, perhaps Uncle Mark still has it and he's the one, he's going to now go to the beach and show off his Super Mario Sunshine towel. And he's gonna get all the accolades that um, that you should you should get. So all those times he's called me a pansy, he really he's just been trying to hoard my super sunshine towel. Yeah. I see through your plan, Uncle Mark. <laughs> You're on the radar, Uncle Mark. You're on the radar. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but uh, as always, story goes. So we actually have launched since. Uh, yes. The last recording and uh things are looking awesome we have as yeah. of right now 116 downloads which is like way more than i thought we'd get in a week yeah way more uh it's awesome so thank you for everyone who's listened we really really appreciate it for the person in canada who listened we don't know who you are so hopefully you're still listening we want to do a big shout out for you that's awesome <laughs> international international podcast international they're connected to the to the u.s but still international to us so. yeah <laughs> um but yeah, so again, thank you to everybody who's listening. We really, really appreciate it a lot. Um, and hopefully you stick around past the Banjo-Kazooie episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. It was magical. And wonderful. It was. It was better than I thought it would be, for sure. I was a little nervous about it. So, But yeah, and as always, this is what I'm really excited for. Uh, we still have yet to receive emails about other people's perspectives. And I really, really, really want that. So as always, please, if you have a perspective, thoughts, feelings, comments about the games we cover please do not hesitate to write into us at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. So just in case you emailed talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com without any, <laughs> any threes, we did not get the email. Someone already has it. I don't know how to do, you know, I don't know what to do. So talesfromthecartridge, gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us, let us know what you think. We would be happy to read those. Um, so yeah. Other than that, I think we should jump into our game of the week. Ryan, what game is that? Uh, we are uh, looking at Half-Life. Um, and you may be saying to yourself, but Ryan and Eric, you guys just did a Valve game. Well, we're doing another one. <laughs> because I, I need I didn't that actually voice over right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, that really reminds me. Actually, I want to bring a new segment in before we start. Is that okay, Ryan? Yeah, of course. Please. Okay, so I want, I want to start a new segment for the podcast. It's called Gawkin with... Gabe, uh, mm-hmm. where I checked our email to see if Gabe has emailed us to oh, yeah, join Portal important. 3s. So if you would give me a moment of silence uh, and <clears throat> check the email. Nope, nothing yet. Okay. It's all right. We'll be back next week with Gawkin with Gabe. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, 2020, hopefully he uh, gets back to us about Portal 3. Uh, in the meantime, it's inevitable, really. When you yeah, think about yeah. It. It's, it's absolutely inevitable. I'm sure he's he's trying to figure it out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably trying to find uh, our email. <laughs> All the easy threes games. It's not hard. You're smarter than this. <laughs> Regrets. Okay, um, but yeah, no Half Life. I've never I never played Half Life. Oh, I'm so that good. guy. Yeah. So yeah, it's okay. I'm very excited to cover this. Um, yeah. So Half Life came out, I believe, in '98, right? Steven's banjo. Yeah, I think it came out in 1998. Um, yeah, Half-Life came out in November 1998, uh, published by Valve, um, Valve Corporation, uh, as they're known. Mm-hmm. Um, Small it, company. Yes, 
Uh, it was written, and actually this is a really interesting piece that you have in the, the background, but it was written by uh, Mark Ladlaw, who actually wasn't uh, like a writer on the Valve team who was brought in, and you can mm-hmm. tell us more about that in the background stuff. Um, it was published by Sierra Nevada Studios um, and Valve Digital, so like the physical one was Sierra Nevada and Valve uh, Digital back when they first started their whole uh, Steam situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Half-Life. Uh, it's, a, it's a big game. Again, November 1998, so right around that time is Banjo-Kazooie. A very different genre, very different demographic they're going for. Um, yeah. And I think you have some info on the, the background and the influences on that. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I found on Half-Life. Um, so it's the very first game developed by Valve. And Valve was created by, or formed by, uh, ex-Microsoft employees Mike Harrington and, of course, our future employer, uh, Gabe Newell. So the game was actually inspired by Doom and Quake, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it has a very, it feels very much like those games. Right, yeah, and the team wanted Half-Life to, to scare players the same way that Doom scared players back then. Um, and I guess it was also really inspired, or heavily inspired by Stephen King's The Mist, the novel, and an episode of the 1963 TV show The Outer Limits, titled The Borderland. I've never seen it, but I mean, I guess that's all, that's where they drew their inspiration from, which is really cool. The game was originally titled Quiver, which sounds a lot like Quake. Yeah. Like, you know, that seems a little... But thankfully, they changed it to Half-Life to support the theme of the game, Um, as well as uh, relate to the Greek letter that's used throughout the the series, uh, which is a lowercase lambda. represents the the Half-Life and the Half-Life equation that we know today. Uh, And so for the narrative, too, which I thought was super interesting, and Valve is a... We touched on this before. Valve is a really weird company in how they manage their employees. They basically let them do whatever they want. So when they were making Half-Life, they created this this group of six employees across all departments of Valve, and they called it the Cabal. And the Cabal was in charge of designing the game, all aspects of this game, including the narrative. So they came with a 30-page document for the story of Half-Life. And like Ryan said, they brought in science fiction writer Mark Ladlaw. Ladlaw? Ladlaw. Mark Ladlaw. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Mark Ladlaw to help with the script. Um, and I guess Mark said he quoted saying like you know he brought in a lot of like the old ways to write science fiction and but the the cabal brought in so many cool new elements it blew his mind and I think he later wrote the other there's a part of the other Half Life scripts as well which is really cool that's a that's really really interesting they brought him in to help that's awesome uh, and you can certainly tell um, that there is a science fiction writer behind this because a lot of the narrative. It's really, I mean, it's, there's a really good story in there, and I think for some of these earlier games, kind of like what we saw with Banjo-Kazooie, there was a really great team behind it, but they weren't necessarily writers. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily yeah. writing stories um, or stories being the focus, where with this, they brought on somebody who it was their job to tell interesting stories. And you can certainly tell by the some of the complexity of things that are happening and the amount of things that are happening that feel kind of, that feel pretty dense. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I really don't know. I've never played. <laughs> but it sounds, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of story beats. And then it, it like, is then turned up, dialed up to 11 in the other Half-Life games. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this kind of intentionality throughout Half-Life, throughout this game, where everything you see and everything you um, do it kind of adds to the story. When I was kind of playing through this, when I was writing the script, it reminded me, strangely enough, of the of the games we've played and of the things we've done. It reminded me the most of um, The Last of Us, because really? the gameplay was one piece of it, but then dotted throughout the gameplay are these story beats that push you forward. 
mm-hmm. and certainly it's there are there are some kind of clunky bits and we'll talk to that when we get there but even while you're walking through the world and just playing the game stuff is happening the world feels alive and it feels like it's um it feels like it's um it doesn't feel static it feels like there are things constantly going on and mm-hmm. um it's something that uh, is hard to capture and i think like all the games that we we've done there is you can you can listen to the story and you can be engaged with the story but i think being in that environment um is the best way to capture it because it is like really spooky there are parts of this game where you're like crawling in a vent and a a creature jumps at you and you scream and all you have is a crowbar and there's like these really spooky moments that are captured in there that i think um, they did a great job of, of doing that's really cool do you think that because we talked we touched a little bit on this with our last episode, Banjo Kazooie. How, like in 1998, obviously storytelling wasn't like huge, a huge mm-hmm. part of the game yet. But it sounds like Half Life has a pretty deep story. Yeah, especially because of like how far Half Life Two goes and how people want Half Life Three. Like it's just, it sounds like it's a really crazy story. So, like, do you think that Half Life had a part to play in the development and, and the, the the push for more complex stories and games? I mean, I think so. I think there is certainly something to be said that Half-Life is kind of a big milestone, especially in, like, the first-person shooter genre, where in Doom and Quake... Again, I didn't play the original Doom. Um, I didn't play the original Quake. It was kind of before my time. Um, Mm. But my understanding is is there wasn't... There was certainly a story, but it wasn't given to you in such a narrative way. And you didn't run into NPCs who gave you information because both the technology wasn't there and that also wasn't kind of the point of, of those games. Um, right. So I, I, perhaps I, I certainly this feels like a good jumping off point and you can connect a lot of the, the things that are happening in here to other games in a lot of ways. I mean, they brought on, they brought on a science fiction novelist, so they yeah. must have been taking it pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do that. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, what about, would you have any memories with Half-Life? You said you've never played it, um, which I, I hadn't either, especially when it came out. And I didn't play it until much later, but uh, do you have any memories of that time when it came out or anything like that? So again, I, I learned about it from the Orange Box. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember seeing it on the cover of the Orange Box, along with Portal, along with Team Fortress 2, and thinking, like, uh, Half-Life 2, um, and thinking that it looked super weird and, like, crazy. But I know people loved it. I know people, like, absolutely adored it. Um, but again, I never got to play it. And then I just kind of lost touch with it. I know it kind of became this this cult phenomenon that you know Half Life Three like is ever to come out. So but that's really as far as I ever got with it. I know uh, I think pretty much the only thing I ever know about Half Life is just from playing uh, Gary's mod <laughs> with you and our friends, <laughs> yeah. uh, and just the assets I see there, like G Man and um, uh, Alex. I think her name is um, from Half Life Two. I think. Uh, but that's and Gordon Freeman, obviously, right. and the crowbar and the significance of that weapon in the game. Um, but that's literally all I know. I really have no idea about the story, or I know that it's attached to Portal, but that's you know it's kind of more vague in that regard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically all I got from that. But what about you? What are your memories? Yeah, so I similar to you, I, I didn't I didn't play it when it came out. I didn't play it any any I didn't play it at all around the time when it came out. I engaged with it much later, and actually the very first time I played it. It's because I wanted to play Half-Life 2, and from, from the little bit of research I did at the time, it was useful to play Half-Life 1. And this was before the whole Black Mesa thing, um, which mm-hmm. um, I, I... So I played this... this For this recording, I played Black Mesa, and then I watched the original Half-Life gameplay. Um, and I used those two in combination to write the script. But so the first time I played it, I played the original Half-Life, and 
I did not appreciate what was going on. I just wanted to get through it. So I ended up, I'm pretty sure I like turned God mode on and unlimited ammo and just like ran through <laughs> it and just like. Gordon Freeman becomes a god. Yeah. And I just powered through it because I just, I wanted to get to Half-Life 2 and I, this, because of the, because of me as an individual at the time and because like the graphics were so old, um, I just, I didn't care about what was going on. So I just powered through and that was my first experience with Half-Life. And I, and after I finished, I was like, oh man, that was much more than I thought. But then I went right to Half-Life 2, which was like even more um, than mm-hmm. I was expecting. Um, so it was really cool to go back. And I think if you're to go back now, if you want to have this Half-Life experience, there is some contention, but I think Black Mesa is the best way to experience that. They have, it's in the same engine as Half-Life 2, so it feels more digestible graphically. They've fixed mm-hmm. some of the writing and the the, continu- the um, continuity stuff. There's some stuff that happens in Half-Life 1 that is contradicted in the original Half-Life. Or sorry, there's some stuff in Half-Life 2 that's contradicted in the original Half-Life 1 that doesn't oh. make much sense, and they've gone back and they've fixed it, and they also added some Easter eggs of like some characters who are really important in Half-Life 2. And in this, like all of the NPCs look the same. There's like three different player models for scientists, and you just see them <laughs> constantly. Where if you play Black Mesa, they throw some of those character models from Half-Life 2, but edited so they're younger, so you meet them. And there's some, like, really cool touches, and they also, like, the gameplay is more fun, and they've added on to. So I think if you're going to go back and play, uh, Black Mesa is the way to do it, because it's just a really good experience. Um, That's really cool that Valve allowed them to do that. It's like, I, I think, like... Uh, what would happen if Nintendo <laughs> was in a situation like that? I, and I think that Nintendo would immediately just yeah. take it down, right? Um, so it's really cool that Valve supports that. I mean, at least it sounds like they do. They could have yeah. taken it down forever ago, and they haven't. So, like, good on them. I think Valve's such a cool company. Like, And I know that people have their issues with Steam, and I totally get that. Um, but I think as a developer, and granted, we haven't seen a lot of developed games <laughs> except for, like, Half-Life Alex recently. Yeah. Um, but it just sound like such a cool place to work for. I don't know. That's just me, though. Yeah, I totally agree. It seems like a really... It, they seem to have just a really um, interesting philosophy around games. And they've came out and said when the first Half-Life came out that they wanted... They didn't want there to be a canon because they wanted mods and people to make to be just as significant as their experiences. And over the years, like, they've... If people have made mods with their games, they've, like, hired those people and made them part of the team. Um, what? So, like, they, they are a company who values what people create over like their own their own content that they've created they if if you can do something cool with their stuff they want you on their team and they value that in a really cool interesting way that again like you said you can't even imagine someone like nintendo doing they're just so protective of their properties it's funny that you say that because i have some fantastic ideas for a little <laughs> game called portal 3 <laughs> ooh, ooh, don't yeah i it's probably the first time you've heard about this yeah i mean, I mean we can go on and on so uh uh, Val, get at us. We'd yeah. be happy to yeah. talk to you about Portal 3 if it is in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, then get on it, cowards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> any other memories you have? No, no. Uh, I think that's it. Just cheating my way through the first one is, is, is the yeah. main memory of the experience. And then again, like I'm, you, just seeing it all over the internet. And that's, I think, why yeah. I went back and played it. Do you think there'll ever be a Half-Life 3? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things where... It's never going to be what people want. <laughs> I can't imagine. Although with Valve, who knows? And like perhaps my my guess is they've there's been like thirty different Half Life threes that they've worked on, and they've Probably. just shelved them because it wasn't exactly like like we've talked about when we were talking about Portal is like 
they just very clearly will have a vision with their games and if it doesn't reach that they have the disposable income to just you know throw it away and start again um, right yeah I don't know. I, I, I would hope one day they try it. And I'm sure it's a huge, monumental task. I would never want to take on. Well, I would for Portal 3. <laughs> but uh, Half-Life, I don't know. I'm, not, you know. I'm excited, though, to, to listen to the story. I think this is going to inspire me to want to go and play Black Mesa. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I actually am kicking myself. I wish I had beforehand. I wish I had played already. Because I just you can see the love people have for these games. And maybe I'm looking too far into it. Maybe it just became, it became such a meme for Half-Life 3 like every E3 that's all you ever heard like maybe they'll, they'll announce Half-Life 3 or you know stupid things like that so maybe it, it's not as much love as I thought but I still think there's probably quite a lot of love for the story and uh, a desire to see some kind of resolution because mm-hmm. that must be incredibly frustrating to have put so much time in this and, and to love this series so much and to not have a conclusion that's just uh, I don't know that just sucks yeah and we can talk when if we ever and when we do the Half-Life 2 episode 1 and episode 2 things we could talk about where it ends because, again, like it, it ends at a place where you'd expect another one. At the end of Half Life Episode One, Episode Two, like it, it, things ramp up, and that that like like we'll see at the end of this game is um, they do a really good job of just flipping everything on its head in certain ways um, in a mm-hmm. way you didn't expect. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard that it's not out there because you just want to know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I would also say too, like her. I mean, I don't. Maybe one day Valve will hear this. Someone from Valve will hear this. Um, and I'm sure they've heard plenty of advice, so they don't have to take my advice at all. Um, but I'll also say, just like make the game that they're happy with and don't mm-hmm. worry about what the fans want, I guess. I think the fans, yeah. the, you know, it is what it is. And, um, like, for example, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. I, I hope that the, the <laughs> Square Enix is really happy with Kingdom Hearts 3 in the story. I wasn't. <laughs> I was really disappointed by Kingdom Hearts three, but that's just me, and I can, I know, and I have Kingdom Hearts one and two, and that's fine, you know. So it is what it is. But yeah, I think that just releasing Half Life three, and, and again, it's probably super hard to, to to nail that down and get it the way they want to. So I hope, I hope one day they can. I hope they one day are um, able to get to that point where they can release it and be proud of it. That'd be really cool. I think a lot of fans would be, would be happy with it, regardless yeah. if it's if they enjoy it at the end or not. At least they got to see. Half-Life 3 come out. Something that I don't think any gamer really thinks will ever happen. You know, that'd be a, a crazy day. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be the, the thing amidst. Thing amidst and lightnings. Yeah. <laughs> then Jesus comes from the heavens. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and sexy, sexy popes and priests everywhere. It's yeah, awful. It's all terrible. And they're impregnating <laughs> everyone's daughters. <laughs> Princesses galore. Oh my God. <sighs> cool. Um, all right, so then I guess yeah, on, on that note, are you ready to go? Yeah, let's let's get into it. Awesome. Good morning, and welcome to the Black Mesa Transit System. The automated train is provided for the security and convenience of the Black Mesa Research Facility personnel. The time is 8.47 a.m. Current topside temperature is 93 degrees, with an estimated high of 105. The Black Mesa compound is maintained at a pleasant 68 degrees at all times. The train is inbound from Level 3 dormitories to Sector C test labs and control facilities. If your intended destination is a high-security area beyond Sector C, you will need to return to the Central Transit Hub in Area 9 and board the high-security train. If you have not yet submitted your identity to the retinal clearance system, you must report to Black Mesa personnel for processing before you will be permitted into the high-security branch of the transit system. Passing numerous security stations, the tram moves deeper and deeper. It comes to a wall with a large open window. The red mesas and the desert as far as the eye can see. Then, the descent. 
Due to the high toxicity of the material routinely handled in the Black Mesa compound, no smoking, eating, or drinking are permitted within Black Mesa transit system. Please keep your limbs inside the train at all times. Do not attempt to open the doors until the train has come to a complete halt at the station platform. In the event of emergency, passengers are to remain seated and await further instructions. If it is necessary to exit the train, disabled personnel should be evacuated first. Please stay away from the electrified rails and proceed to the emergency station until assistance arrives. For the unknowing, what exactly is a mesa? So a mesa is, it's a flat elevated ridge or hill, which is, this is from Wikipedia. A mesa is an isolated <laughs> flat top elevation ridge or hill, which is bound from all sides by steep escape escarpments and stands distinctly above the surrounding plain. Mesas characteristically consist of flat lying sedimentary rock. Yeah. So it's, it's like a big plateau um, with kind of rigid, rigid sides and it's flat. This, oh, cool. yeah. So often found in deserts or flat, like flatlands. Okay, cool. I knew that obviously, but of course, just in case just someone else knows. Making sure know everybody that. else knows. Yeah, that's that's super <laughs> useful. Yeah, so that's that's what it makes sense. And uh, just on top of that, like after doing Portal, like this feels very similar in its kind of corporateness of mm-hmm. it. Um, how it's like saying a lot of these very corporate things, and it's 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 kind of using a lot of this corporate language to just kind of do the world building. And I think you said before, maybe for a Portal episode, it had to be for a Portal episode. Um, that Aperture Science is a lot like Black Mesa. Yes, it is very much so. They're they're actively competitors. Interesting. So they take, so it's in the same yes. universe. Yes, it that is, is in the super same cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the Valve universe. In the Valve universe. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you think we'll see? Is there any other touches to that in this game, or uh, or will we see that more maybe later on? Uh, to be honest, there isn't in this game. I don't know if there even is in the Half Life game in like the half-life episode two and episode one i don't know if there's any hint to aperture i think it's only in portal two we get hints of black mesa um, oh cool yeah and when they start talking about but i will say a lot of the stuff you're dealing with in half-life one um is things that you're exploring versions of in portal in in what you in what you are and what is affecting the world around you i will say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really key moment i think in portal that Maybe we could touch on later mm-hmm. that Gladys says. Yeah. If you catch my drift. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> the tram approaches a massive round locked door. It stops as three steel security arms move out of the way when the aperture slides open. A reminder to all Black Mesa personnel. Regular radiation and biohazard screenings are a requirement to continue the employment in Black Mesa Research Facility. Missing scheduled urinalysis or radiation checkup is grounds for immediate termination. If you feel you have been exposed to radioactive or any other hazardous materials in the course of your duties, contact your radiation safety officer immediately. Work safe, work smart. The future depends on it. Now, deep inside the bowels of the complex, the tram passes over large power generators. These generators give off a luminescent energy beam that shifts in color. The tram passes through another security aperture. A large walking robot is seen moving through the chamber below. No driver in sight. The tram goes deeper. The next chamber, a glow with green light from toxic sewage. Another robot clambers across the catwalk above this nuclear liquid as another tram passes, headed in the opposite direction. A strange man can be seen standing on the tram. Not a scientist or a security guard. The individual in the suit seems out of place in this huge facility. The tram exits the chamber and arrives in Sector C, the last stop in the final destination. Now arriving at Sector C test labs and control facilities, please stand back from the automated door and wait for the security officer to verify your identity. Before exiting the train... Be sure to check the area for personal belongings. Thank you, and have a very safe and productive day. 
Oh, Ryan, they're such a good company. They're such they're a good company. Employees have a good day and be safe. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> right. And, and and one of the really great moments is while they're saying this, the, the radiation thing, you're like driving over a vat of radiated liquid, um, which is like it, it so perfectly encapsulates what is going on here and that they're saying one thing and doing another. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and, but a lot how, like Aperture. So, yeah, a lot like Aperture. Yeah, that's a really great point. And this is kind of our really, really cold opening. This slow tram ride to just show you this massive facility and all the different experiences going on there. That's your opening. What do you think? How does that, how does that feel for an opening? I like it personally. I mean, I having not experienced it and just picturing this in my mind, I think it's a really cool way to bring you into what I imagine is the whole setting of this game is what I'm I'm guessing so far. Um, but really, a really cool way to kind of set up what's happening. I, I think it's fun. And I'm really interested to know, I feel like there's a reason why you pointed out uh, someone standing out in the train that didn't look like everybody else. So I'm a little excited by that. I feel like that's a little, like a, a little tidbit you put in there, so I'm excited to see more of that. Um, but yeah, so far I like it a lot. What about you? What do, what do you, when you go back through and you played Black Mesa and you watched Half-Life, the original, uh, how did you feel about the opening? Similar to you, I really like it. It feels like a really good way to set up the setting by both you have the really good writing of this announcer who's just reading just like corporate lingo. And then at the same time, you're seeing all these crazy experiments and robots and you're going through this massive, you're going through this massive complex and you're, um, you've just left your dormitories and you're going through all these things that as far as we know, this is something that you see every single day on your on your train ride in this is your this is your morning commute and we'll see that reinforced you know very shortly but yeah i really like it i think it's a nice slow build to the experience just kind of get you ready and start thinking about what is going on here why am i on this tram what is this place you just uh, right away you have so many unanswered questions and i think one of the things we've noticed in a lot of our games in these stories is the more unanswered questions we have the more tension that's built behind that, the more interesting and engaging they can be. Definitely. I, yeah, that is a fantastic observation that you're pointing out because I, I think that when you notice that there are inconsistencies of what's being said and what's being done, like, you know, you say one thing and the actions are different, then you're noticing that something's not right here. There's, there's something more going on here that we're not seeing. Um, and that's that mystery kind of, for, for me, when I get that mystery and I kind of see that going on, it makes me, that compels me forward. That's what I want to keep playing this game and seeing the story and see what happens so I, I, and I can already tell too it's so much like Aperture like we just said and how ironic too like I mean obviously this wasn't made when Valve had Steam it was still probably a really small developer at the time um, and, and to see it's, it's just so ironic to me now that we have Aperture Science with this giant corporation we have Black Mesa and then these games are made by Valve which is just this gigantic company now thanks to Steam um, and just kind of the irony there. I don't know. You know, it, it's just kind of funny how this, this this company made these two games about pretty much you know the evils of these corporations, and then we have Valve as this giant corporation. I'm not saying that they're evil. Um, they'll be evil to me if they don't hire us for Portal Three. But <laughs> right now, what I'm saying is that they're not Still evil. The good side. Um, <laughs> corporate apologist number one over here just to get into a game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah so. and and in similar ways, like Valve like creates these really amazing VR things behind the scenes. Like there are the, all these rumors over the years, if you pay attention to Valve, there's all these rumors of like, of like 
these crazy peripherals and video game things that they're working on that like leak out that have like a very similar feel of like we're working on things behind the shadows oh i like it's video game app like paraphernalia but still it's mm-hmm. still it's like like you said that's a really good point that there's these these parallels yeah it's, it's pretty cool and oh one of the things i did leave out of this because it didn't feel like it made much sense is as you're riding the tram a series of things pops in front of your face that says like your name's gordon freeman you have a phd in physics you are a lab assistant like this like stuff that you as a character would know but we as players don't know that it gives you um so i did cut that out because it, it just didn't seem to to make sense for us as mm. characters to just uh, the character to get that information but just so you know at this time as a player you know their name's gordon freeman you know they're 27 years old which is crazy young um, you know they're a PhD um, student, and you know that they're working here as an assistant of some kind. So and basically, Gordon's more successful than I. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Just making sure. Cool. Yeah. But you know, he 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 gets up to all kinds of stuff that maybe we don't want to get into. So we'll we'll see. Oh jeez. Um, <laughs> Chris Hansen, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Morning, Mr. Freeman. Looks like you're running late. At the tram stops at a long catwalk. The security officer approaches and opens the door. The guard turns and makes his way towards a large door at the end of the catwalk. When he pushes the buttons on the door console, two massive steel guards slide out of place and the door opens. Freeman steps inside the airlock and a large scary door in front of him. The second door opens to reveal a large room. Inside, scientists walk around the room with an air of purpose. Freeman approaches a large circular desk with the security officer sitting behind it. Hey, Mr. Freeman, I had a bunch of messages for you, but we had a system crash about 20 minutes ago, and I'm still trying to find my files. Just one of those days, I guess. They're having some problems down in the test chamber, too, but I think I got that all straightened out. They told me to make sure you head down there as soon as you get into your hazard suit. Freeman makes his way to the hallway of the lab, greeting his fellow scientists. As he passes, as he passes several rooms full of scientists and computers working, one room stands out. Inside it, that same strange man from the tram talking to a scientist. Freeman can almost hear what they're saying through the glass, but he's already late and needs to keep moving. He goes into the locker room, puts on his hazard suit. Welcome to the HEV Mark IV protective system for use in hazardous environment conditions. High impact reactive armor activated. Atmospheric containment sensors activated. Automatic medical systems engaged. Defensive weapons selection system activated. Munitions level mounting activated. Communications interface online. Have a very safe day. Hazard gear on, he makes his way down to the test chamber. Going right through, sir. Looks like you're in the barrel today. Freeman makes his way into an elevator, down into the test chamber. He moves through a maze of hallways and rooms. White metal walls are covered with computers. Freeman finally makes it into the observation room of the test chambers. Ah, Gordon, here you are. We just let the sample down to the test chamber. We boosted the anti-mass spectrometer 105%. Bit of a gamble, but we need extra resolution. The administrator is very concerned that we get conclusive analysis of today's sample. I gather they went to some length to get it. They're waiting for Gordon in the test chamber. The scientists unlock the door for Gordon using the retinal scanner. He proceeds down the elevator towards the test chamber. As you make your way towards the final elevator down to the test chamber, a circuit board explodes, sending sparks to the air. Two scientists quickly rush over. It's about to go critical. What the hell is going on with our equipment? It wasn't meant to do this in the first place. Gordon reluctantly makes his way to the elevator, down towards the test chamber. As Gordon approaches, two more scientists stand in front of the entrance. I'm afraid we'll be deviating a bit from the standard analysis procedure today, Gordon. (laughs) Yes, but with good reason. This is a rare opportunity for us. This is the purest sample we've seen yet. And potentially the most unstable. 
Now, now, if you follow the standard insertion procedure, everything will be fine. I don't know how you can say that, although I will admit the possibility of a resonance cascade scenario is extremely unlikely. Gordon doesn't need to hear all this. He's a highly trained professional. We've assured the administrator that nothing will go wrong. Ah, yes, you're right. Gordon, we have complete confidence in you. Well, go ahead. Let's get him in now. That's terrifying. I feel like <laughs> it's almost like a nose goes kind of thing. Well, oh, oh Gordon, here <laughs> you go. Don't worry, you're fine. Just go for it. What yeah. could go wrong? Again, there's like there there's this slow build of things like slowly going wrong and this like, oh, sorry, emails got deleted and there's something going on, but I think they figured it out. And then you get further <laughs> in like a, a, a console explodes and there's just this kind of really slow building of tension of something isn't right here, but no one is, but we're still going through with it. We know something is going wrong. We don't know what it is, but we're still going forward with it. Do you think that maybe this is going too far or into the story? And I'm taking a little too far with this. Um, but do you think that this is showing Gordon uh, trust these individuals that are kind of leading him to do what he's about to do? Or do you think this is just more of a gamey situation? Like gamey in terms of um, the, the, in order to proceed through the game, you kind of just have to do this without being like, uh, no, I don't really want to do that. Or, you know, without being uh, opposed to what's happening. I certainly think they attempted to make it feel plausible by having all these scientists say these things to you because they could have just had you walk in and or they could have just said like something might go wrong go on in there but they wanted there to be this tension of maybe something will go wrong maybe not but all these scientists seem to think it'll be fine and I think one of the reasons they made Gordon so young is so that it feels like he's in a position where he can't you know disagree oh, and yeah. one of the things that you'll notice one of the things I noticed, and it wasn't until I was watching this, all the all the um, security guards call you Mr. Freeman, and they refer you by Freeman. But as soon as you get around these scientists, they call you Gordon. And one of the things that I, I cut out, because it, it just didn't make sense, is as you're, you're allowed to walk through this lab as long as you want, and you're allowed to see just a bunch of things. And if you like walk up to these scientists, they're like, Gordon, what are you doing? Get down there. Like They don't respect you or, or, or trust you in the same way that those security guards do. Mm-hmm. So they're establishing there's this hierarchy of... Um, hierarchy of scientists in this place and Gordon seems right. to be unfortunately at the bottom and, and yeah I think it's actually a really good point I'm glad they made him I'm glad they stayed his age because then like if he was like this 40 something year old who's like a little bit wiser and more experienced and this was happening I would question that more but as a 27 year old yeah there's a lot of probably a lot of pressure being in a facility like this around a lot of smart people and you're trying to do your best so like of course you're going to be a team player and you're going to go for it um that makes sense to me in, in the kind of a social hierarchy of, of things so very cool. I, I think that's a really cool touch. I, I hope that was intentional, because I think it's a really cool thing that they did. The two scientists use retinal scanners to unlock the door. As Gordon enters the test chamber, in the center of the room is a large metal set of arms, hanging above them three large crystals. The chamber has no windows save for small observation rooms. There are a handful of computer terminals inside. Before Gordon can get to work, a voice comes over the intercom. Testing! Testing! Everything seems to be in order. All right, Gordon, your suit should keep you comfortable through all this. The specimen will be delivered in a few moments. If you'd be so good to climb up and start the rotors, we can bring in the anti-mass spectrometer to 80% and hold it there until the carrier arrives. Gordon makes his way up the familiar ladder to the computer above and starts the sequence. The machinery begins to whir and spin. The voice from the intercom responds. Very good. We'll take it from here. Power to stage one. Emitters in three, two, one. I'm seeing predictable phase arrays. Stage two emitters activating now. Gordon, we cannot predict how long the system can operate at this level. 
nor how long these readings will take. Please work as quickly as you can. A large view of energy forms between the crystals, fires down to the center of the chamber. The light forms a beam that bathes the room in an eerie yellow light. As more of the machine is brought to life, the energy beams dance between the crystals and the opening in the center of the room. Overhead capacitor is at, uh-oh, 5%. Uh, it's probably not a problem. Probably. But I'm showing a small discrepancy in. Well, no, it's well within acceptable bounds again. Sustaining sequence. I've just been informed the sample is ready, Gordon. It should be coming up to you any moment now. Look to the delivery system for your specimen. Going back really quick uh, before we get too far, I feel like not only is, and we'll probably get to it, the crowbar like, kind of iconic, but I feel like the suit, mm-hmm. the, the, the hazard suit in this game is so video game iconic. Like It's literally in Fall Guys right now as a costume <laughs> that your Fall Guy can wear. Yeah. And as well as the, the I think it's a, the portal turret you can also wear as a costume. But how crazy is that? This game from 1988 is still, being a, is still influential uh, enough to be in a brand new a game that has nothing to do with Half-Life. It's Fall Guys, you know? And it's crazy. It's so cool that it's just kind of transcended. I think it's been a lot of different things or it kind of been like uh, Easter egg. Just how cool. You know, I think it's awesome. Or what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's really strange how iconic all this has become. And I think you really hit on it where you said it was kind of like these, these there's almost like a cult following with a lot of Valve mm-hmm. games, including the Portal games and including these Half-Life games where people are just so invested in what's happening and the story and the mystery of it. And I think because they do such a good job of setting up this tension, people are engaged with it a lot. But yeah, it's wild how far-reaching it is. Or this game from 1998 is like a skin that people want to wear in a game in 2020. Um, yeah. Like 20 years later. Um, over 20 years later. It, it's really wild how much it's kind of permeated popular culture. And I think even individuals who aren't super into video games could recognize maybe not note call what it's from but say oh i've seen that before if they were shown something from half-life that hev suit or the crowbar or something like that in a really interesting way um, mm-hmm. yeah it's wild it's wild how much they captured this they how much of like a cult following these games have yeah it's crazy i, I think if i was a person like that and i knew my game had transcended this far i think I, that's something to be really proud of yeah that's something that's really uh, it's just amazing. It's, it's you know, especially for video games. You know, there's a lot of different uh, memes and uh, like cult followings and just things that people love from video games. Uh, but for the hazmat suit and the and the crowbar and, and and really Gordon Freeman himself, just so iconic. Really cool. A small cart rises from the floor. At the front, a set of mechanical arms with a strange yellow crystal in hand. Gordon pushes the cart to the center of the room so it meets the beams of energy. As they connect, something shifts in the air as it becomes charged. Yellow beam creates a brief strange green orb and it vanishes. Explosions echo through the chamber as the room begins to shake. Oh dear. Gordon, get away from the... Shutting down. No. Attempting shutdown. No, it's, it's, not, it's not shutting down. A beam of energy arcs towards the control room as the screams of scientists are silenced. Yellow beam turns green again. Now the small orb takes up the entire chamber, and the arcs of energy dance around the room in every direction. The beam refocuses now green as explosions can be seen through in the chamber. Gordon's vision fades to black and the air goes silent. All he can hear is his heavy breathing. When his vision returns, the chamber is being ripped apart by the escaping energy. A beam strikes Gordon and now he's standing in a strange alien world. Two large creatures with muscular legs, a tail, and a maw of tentacles stand seemingly unaware of Gordon's presence. His vision fades and he quickly returns. Now, standing surrounded by more strange aliens. These bipedal creatures with one large eye and shackles on their arms stand around Gordon, but his vision fades again. Now he's standing back in the destroyed test chamber. 
beam of energy now split into a dozen smaller beams across the room. A red light fills the chamber and the distant sounds of alarm ring in his ears. Can you imagine how much Gordon is probably thinking that he made different life choices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did I do in that moment? What did I do to get here? I'm hoping that that hazmat suit has like a built-in diaper or something. Like, man. <laughs> I mean, you never use the bathroom, so it's gotta. It's I mean, gotta yeah, have some some kind to. of built-in something. Probably like it. just something weird, like recycles your urine or something. Probably, like that. yeah, that feels pretty Black Mesa. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, putting myself. I mean, we're we're 29, so like 27 is not that far off. So I just like put myself in yeah. his shoes. I just feel like right. I would be contemplating all the choices I made to that point, and like what I should have done differently to see. If yeah. I saw these aliens just standing there, I'd be like, oh God, what have I done? Like, <laughs> I could have just worked at Starbucks and things would have been okay. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to have to go through for, for him. And he's like in the center of it. And not only is he in the center of it, he's actively the one that pushed the button. Um, he, again, was like listening to all these scientists who are telling him what to do, but he's the one that pushed right. the cart into the chamber. And now he gets to see what what that what that has yeah. done, what that has created. That's, yeah, that's cool. I have a feeling. I, I really don't. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I have a feeling that uh, by Gordon being in this unlikely and unfortunate position, that it actually might be a benefit to him somehow. But I have no idea how. That's just kind of the gut feeling I'm getting right now. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. And I think like because we're the player, because we're the character, we know that we survive this and we move on from this. Um, but it's it's such an interesting like shift from that really slow opening where you're just kind of first off in a tram and then like meandering around a bunch of scientists and then it like really quickly <laughs> flips on its head to everything is like gone to hell and um, like you're seeing aliens and there's laser beams everywhere. It, it's a quick shift, quick turnaround. Gordon, now able to walk and move around, makes his way to the test chamber door. The body of a scientist lies in a pool of blood, the retina scanner on the door briefly hangs on the wall as gordon approaches it prompts right right rise personnel in a garbled broken voice the door weakly slides open as sparks shoot from the door frame the lab in ruin bodies and machinery strewn about the hallways making his way through the rubble gordon heads the elevator the two scientists who are working on the computer are alive but one of them is slumped to the ground why didn't they listen we tried to warn them i never thought i'd see a resonance cascade let alone create one. Gordon, you're alive. Thank God for that hazard suit. I'm afraid to move him, and all the phones are out. Please get to the surface as soon as you can and let someone know we're stranded down here. You'll need me to access the retina scanners. I'm sure the rest of the science team will gladly help you. As you and the scientists make your way towards the door, a small burst of energy inside one of the tubes by the wall causes a strange alien creature to appear. Different from the others you saw, smaller, low to the ground with two small legs, it leaps against the glass but unable to escape. The scientist leads you away and towards the door where he uses the retina scan to open the way forward. Now, in the observation room, the beam of energy from the test chamber shoots through the broken window, destroying the computers on the wall. Gordon ducks underneath the beam as he makes his way forward, as he makes his way forward through the destroyed doorway. As Gordon moves forward, another energy bursts, brings one of those smaller creatures to the room. It leaps towards him, but not wanting to see the damage it could cause, Gordon dodges out of the way and pushes forward. Making his way through the destroyed ruins of the lab, he stumbles upon an abandoned crowbar quickly grabs it shortly after he stumbles upon a security officer firing at strange alien creatures these stumbling slow-moving creatures have long claws and where their head once stood sits one of those smaller aliens 
these stumbling, slow-moving creatures have long claws, and where their head once would sits those smaller aliens we were lucky enough to escape earlier. Gordon, man, am I glad to see you. What the hell are these things? And why are they wearing science? This guy's way too calm for the situation. <laughs> man, I am glad to see you. Yeah. Like it's a, some kind of picnic yeah. or something. <laughs> what the hell are these things? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like you're, you're more alert than this, man. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's an alien walking towards you. Uh, why aren't you freaking out? <laughs> Gordon, are you going to the picnic later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's and there's like a lot of these like kind of tonal disconnects when you talk to NBCs uh anytime they're on the game uh but yeah there's certainly the one guy that one. quarter runs into the one scientist like oh gordon thank god i stubbed my toe so hard oh it's like the worst thing that could have happened today <laughs> he just complains about it for like 15 minutes <laughs> yeah with the help and the firearm of the security officer, Gordon continues to make his way through the labs. Scientists fight off more of those strange alien creatures, both their small, climbing form and the larger, dangerous walking one. As he moves forward, more of these strange energy bursts bring those and other aliens, some from the visions and new ones he's never seen before. As he makes his way towards the elevator, he again sees that strange man standing on a catwalk, just watching. The elevator brings him to the office complex and the security checkpoint. Just to make sure, just to be clear, this... This guy that we're seeing on the catwalk. Is this the same guy same that guy. kind of been referenced throughout? Okay. Yeah, same sure. guy. Same strange suited man who you see. Does he look good in his suit? He looks pretty good. He look like his face is a little wonky because it's um it's not not his own fault. Um just when they when they when they drew born his that way. when they drew his face. Yeah, he was just born that way. But yeah, just kinda staring creepily, just kinda chilling. I like how Gordon just, just leaves. <laughs> I feel like I'd be that guy that's like, uh what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't you be running or something? And one of the things about this like strange man that we keep seeing, the first time I played through this, and the second time I played through this, um, he's like he's hard, he's easy to miss. Um, he's there for a second and then he's gone. So mm-hmm. it, I put it in here because it's important to the overall story. But one of the really cool things about this is the first time you play through this, you could never see this guy. Because he just is so well hidden, and he's only there for a second. And there's so much other things going on in the world around you, it's really easy to miss him. So that's something that when you're playing through this, keep an eye out, because it's really easy to miss him. And one of the things mm-hmm. that happens is you'll see where he is, and if you go to that t- that place where he was, he's, he's totally gone. And he's not there. So that's oh, cool. another thing to keep in mind. It's, it probably is a good reason. I wonder if they did that to help with like replayability. Yeah. Uh-huh. Probably someone saw that and kind of figured like, oh god, if there's a there's that dude from earlier, and kind of was able to like replay it and try to find him again. Mm-hmm. That's probably that's really cool. Yeah, and I think one of the things like we talked about in, in Portal is there's a lot of stuff like that that's hidden in the game. That if you're just playing through it, you're gonna get the story, you're gonna get the experience, and it's it's fairly fun and it's enjoyable. But if you take the time to find all those secrets, you learn so much more. They want you as players to discover things on your own that they're not gonna just straight up tell you. Which again, we've we've hinted at that before. How like it's nice when that happens because when they beat you overhead with information, it just gets boring. Mm-hmm. But when the game respects you enough to put the pieces together yourself, I think you gain so much more in that regard, and it keeps your attention more because you're trying to figure it out rather than just sitting there and mindlessly being told everything. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It it again it it makes there be layers to the game, right? There's there's more to it than 
when you when you play through it multiple times you're seeing different things and it it's a good way to like keep up engagement with the game because like you create mm-hmm. forums and message boards around finding all the secrets and talking about the thing that you saw and creating theories anyway that's just really engaging and interesting which i think is part of the reason why these games have kind of broken through to popular culture is because there's these like mysteries around them and there's like whole message boards or there was dedicated to figuring out what's going on especially because like there's a gap between half-life one half-life two and Mm. like we'll see when we finish this game there's like a lot of unanswered questions ah gordon if i don't know it was you i'd let you in everyone's heading for the surface but i think they're crazy if we stay put someone's bound to come rescue us Gordon finds himself in a maze of offices, cubicles, and hallways. As he moves through the office complex, he's greeted by more of these aliens at every turn. Each time, they attack on sight and kill any scientist they see. While fighting his way through, Gordon gets a hold of more powerful weapons to better defend himself against the numerous aliens who now seem to have reign of the lower part of the complex. He finds a handful of survivors. He finds a scientist trapped in one of the large freezers, who tells him, I just overheard the security access transmission. Soldiers have arrived. They're coming to rescue us. Of course, I have my doubts. We'll live long enough to greet them. Gordon continues to fight his way through the complex, finding more security officers who help him secure the elevator shaft to move to the surface and to safety. Don't con on the cavalry finding us down here. Head to the surface. Elevators are out of order, but we can still climb. Gordon leaps across the elevator shaft, grabs on the ladder inside, and begins to climb to the surface. For both his and the other scientists' lives, reaching the surface means help from the military and rescuing the scientists still trapped inside the test chamber. So you're doing a good job so far. Like, I don't know. I probably would still be cowering in the corner. <laughs> like, yeah. Gordon, go to the surface. I'd be like, I'm good. Take <laughs> yeah. my suit. You t- you go. But it sounds like, you know, Gordon's uh, doing a good job keeping it together to get help. So, yeah, really cool. And I'm wondering if we'll learn more about these aliens. I, I feel like you did a really good job setting up kind of what's happening to these dead scientists and, and these aliens. Yeah, yeah. Great. I mean, I think the game does a really good job of like giving you glimpses of these strange aliens and like again it doesn't tell you anything about them it just throws them at you and one of the really cool things that i think feels like a philosophy in valve games is show not tell where instead of Mm -hmm. like telling you how these aliens work and telling you what happens they let you like they put you behind a glass wall that you can't do anything about but you see something happening on the other side that tells you what this creature is, how it acts, and how to fight it in this really cool and interesting way. Um, Show Not Tell seems to be like a really big piece of philosophy that Valve has. And I I will say, like all other games, I cut out a lot of stuff here because you spend a lot of time wandering through this office complex, fighting creatures, getting weapons, getting allies, and making your way through. And it's like uh, horrifying because ammo is scarce. There's a lot of these alien creatures. They make scary, spooky sounds. And even when they're not around, you constantly hear them in the background, moaning and groaning. And there'll be times where you walk into a room and see a scientist pulled into a grate and blood just shoots out. And that's all you get. And you, it's like not a grate you can get to. And there's all these little moments like that dotted throughout that just ramp up this tension that um, I, I don't think it did a great job of capturing here that you really get when you're in that experience. God, this reminds you so much of Dead Space. Yeah. You just saying this, I feel like Dead Space had to have been influenced in some way, shape, or form, just from what you're telling me about Half Life and just the the visuals of the game itself. Like that just sounds like crazy. And so, would I be right to in making the assumption that these monsters are 
taking over these dead scientist bodies. Yeah, yeah. So you see this happening, right? You see these little these little crawly creatures who you saw at the, as soon as you exited the test chamber jumping at you. And when it jumps at you, you see like a maw of teeth underneath. You see these creatures, again, like you're walking fast and you see a scientist in the room, like his hands up while this creature is jumping at him and he's like dodging out of the way. And then he falls. And if you stand there long enough, you see him get back up and he has these long claws and it's, it's really scary. And again, like they let you experience this and they let you see this. Mm-hmm. And then every scientist you run into or every creature you run into that looks like that, you know, was a, a turned individual. I think it's really cool in games like this, probably like more horror games, obviously. Um, but creating that sense of dread from a narrative and gameplay perspective, I know we don't cover gameplay, but you know, I'm just gonna say this right now. Um, to have moments where you can't help someone mm-hmm who can't help themselves like that when they just are going to die no matter what and you can't do anything to help them as but like you have all the guns in the world but for whatever reason you can't help that person that kind of creates that sense of dread like oh my god like you know anything could happen mm-hmm. right now and and i think that's such a cool thing to do in games i think it really sets up the the, the atmospheric tone and this the, what's going on and just the feeling that you as the player should have and, and one of the things that further reinforces that, that same dread that you're talking about, is at any time while you're walking around this office complex, a portal will open and aliens will come through it. There is nowhere you are safe because you'll just be walking through a hallway that's totally empty and you can see the doorway at the end of it and you get halfway through that hallway and then upon, behind you and in front of you, creatures appear. And then you just have to deal with that. And, and again, it's it's this ramping up of tension that is always happening. You don't know what you're safe. You don't know what these creatures are. You don't know why they're here. You don't know what's going on. You just hope, hope, hope you can get to the surface and get to safety. Oh, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. When he, I'm, I'm imagining he gets to the surface, but I, I feel like that can't be the end. So. Right, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> As Gordon exits the elevator shaft, he sees a scientist pounding on the glass window of a security terminal. For God's sakes, open the silo doors. They're coming for us. It's our only way out. Oh, my God, we're doomed. As the security guard heads to the console to open the door, a vent bursts open. Large claws grab him and pull him inside. Gordon attempts to fire at the glass, but it's unbreakable. And all Gordon can do is watch in horror. A moment later, an announcement comes over the intercom. Attention! Black Mesa announcement system now under military command. He needs to get to the surface. Help is here. And the longer he stays down here with the creatures, the less chance he has to survive. Gordon makes his way through a warehouse full of equipment. He navigates strip mines, turrets, and more aliens brought to the complex by these strange bursts of energy. As he moves forward, he finds more and more military equipment stockpiled, but no sign of help yet. He makes his way towards the exit. Again, Gordon sees that man in the suit, walking on the catwalk. He rushes up to see the man, but he's gone. Nowhere to be seen. The sound of an alarm can be heard in the next room. As Gordon makes his way, a scientist rushes towards the exit. He quickly shouts, Rescued at last! Thank God you're here! But a marine pulls out a rifle, quickly shoots down the scientist. He makes his way into the room, sees Gordon, before Gordon can react, the Marine starts to fire. Gordon has no choice but to defend himself and kill the Marine. He picks up his rifle, gets in the elevator, and moves forward. Over the intercom, a voice says, All personnel must evacuate immediately. Room after room of escaping scientists are gunned down by the Marines. Their pleas for help unheard. The Marines fire on sight. As Gordon sneaks past a handful of Marines, he makes his way to the surface. He overhears them speaking. I've killed 12 dumbass scientists, and not one of them has fought back. This sucks. 
<laughs> it's quite like uh, good. I, it's perfect voice. Thanks. Uh, they're certainly trying to give these Marines a certain personality type. Yeah, maybe that's. Yeah, maybe that's not yeah. fair to do. But at the same time, you have to. I mean, you have to not. No, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it makes it easier to want to fight back against the enemy when the enemy is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so like, this works. And I think this is really cool too. Like. It's, it's interesting how in the beginning of the game we kind of felt like Black Mesa was this uh, company that was saying one thing and then doing another based on what we were seeing. But now it feels like the, the tone... Oh, actually, I shouldn't say that because I feel like now is they're still doing that, right? They're still trying to seem like they're helping the scientists uh, when really they're trying to kill them, it sounds like. There's, like all, all personnel must evacuate immediately. So all these scientists are trying to get outside and then they're just gunned down. So it sounds like... And I could be taking that the wrong way. Maybe I'm not. Maybe Black Mesa is trying to say they're scientists and they don't know the Marines are there. But I just have a feeling that's not the case. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting kind of tonal shift. And I really liked when I was playing this. And it, again, it was more impactful the third time, the second time. The When I played the Black Mesa version, it was more impactful that like every scientist you run into is saying, we need to get to the surface, we need to get to safety. And all you've seen is these like alien horrors. And they're, everyone is just trying to like, the, their hope is... The military comes and it saves us. We just have to get to the surface so the military can save us. And then you get there and, like, the military just starts shooting people and killing all the scientists. In this, like, again, it is building that tension. There was, you were, you were working towards a goal, getting to safety, getting topside. And now this goal is gone and you don't know what the next Mm -hmm. steps are because aliens are trying to kill you, the military is trying to kill you, and you're the only (laughs) one with weapons other than the security guards. 27 years old. <laughs> 27 years old, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's a rough situation. Gordon had all... <laughs> Gordon had all a bunch of flashbacks to all the cake stands he did in good times in college. <laughs> Just trying to, trying to think of better time. <laughs> yeah. The Marines turn and begin to fire. Wave after wave of Marines repel down from the helicopters above as they fire. His HEV suit protects him from some of the shots, but Gordon has no choice but to run. He kills a handful of marines as he scrambles to find somewhere safe. He quickly dives into a nearby bunker and into the vent system. He crawls through the vents, pursued by marines, and makes his way back down into the complex. He lands in a small security room with a lone scientist. Well, so much for the government. Their idea of containment is to kill everyone associated with the project. Judging by your hazard suit, I say you were part of what went wrong. Isn't that right? Now look, if anyone can end this catastrophe, it's a science team and land a complex. At the opposite end of the base. With the transit system out, I couldn't tell you how to get there. There's an old decommissioned rail system somewhere through here, beyond the silo complex. If you can make it through to the rocket test labs, you may be able to worm your way through the old tunnels and track down whatever is left of Lambert team. You can trust them. You can trust all of us. Gordon stocks up on ammo and weapons, opens the door, and makes his way into the silo complex. I almost wish, and it's probably because of the limitations, but maybe, or maybe Black Mesa had touched on this, I don't know. I wish we had more of a reaction from Gordon killing these Marines. I feel like these are the first humans he's had to kill. It's one thing when you're killing aliens, because it's not so personal. Uh, but when it's these Marines, granted they're jerks, it sounds like, but, um, and again, not all Marines are jerks, just in this game. But, you know, Gordon doesn't seem to have any kind of, like, visceral reaction to that. Like, I think he would in, in quote-unquote, real life. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I certainly think there's a big difference between killing these aliens that have appeared and are fighting, and then, like, fighting these Marines. And again, there's a disconnect, right? Because here are these Marines that are trained 
have more weapons, and here's this guy with a shotgun, a pistol, and a crowbar, and he's dropping Marines. So there's, like, this disconnect between, like, making a fun and interesting game and, like, making it feel really realistic, where I think in games like The mm-hmm. Last of Us that have this very similar, like, narrative focus, the the violence feels more... It, it is certainly just as, like, it, it's still human-on-human violence, and there's still that, like, I'm killing humans versus I'm killing monsters, but it, it able is able to explore that space in a way I don't think this is able to, and I think, like you said, because of that limitation of they have a silent protagonist. And I also think mm-hmm. one of the things that what we're seeing more limitations on, right, is that all you just ran away from all these Marines, and you fell down, and all of a sudden you meet a scientist who somehow knows what just happened to you on the surface. Right, yeah. That's right, true. <laughs> but I mean, it's there because you need that. a new direction, and the player needs a direction. And so this is the direction they gave, but that like doesn't really make a ton of sense because how does the scientist know what's going on? And again, he's very calm. Yeah, and he's very <laughs> he's like, calm. Oh, I guess the gun didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is he is pretty calm compared to the others. And and maybe in Black Mason, I missed it. And what they did was they added like a bunch of security cameras in this room or something because I think that would solve it if he'd been able to see what's going on. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a mm-hmm. hole here where how does the scientist know what's going on? Right. Um, how how are you feeling about the story this far? What are your uh, initial reactions for what we got so far? With we've got aliens, marines, all bad, yeah. In the scope of this game, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I think it's like I don't want to say it's a simple story. I don't think it's a simple at all. But I think it's kind of a, a, a nicely constructed story to where like the objective is something that would logically happen in a situation. You need to get out, right? You need to get to the top, uh, and. And so once he does, having that twist where, like, no, the top is actually bad. Top side is actually bad because people are trying to kill you up there, too. So really, Gordon's stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think I said this before in a past episode, but I, just, I really love games where it's a normal protagonist who are, is just placed in this, like, horrible situation. I think that is a really cool plot design to show kind of this character growth, like when this character is forced to, like so for Gordon as an example, he's forced to kill these aliens that he's never seen before. And, and I can't imagine that emotional toil that takes for him to do that. And then to, to finally make it up to topside, um, to feel potentially that sense of like relief and and, uh, and to feel that anxiety kind of dissipate, to only then gain it back when you realize the Marines are trying to kill you and everybody else. Uh, when you put yourself in Gordon's shoes, it's such a roller coaster of emotions. It just feels really cool. And again, there's there's some parts where it's like a little jarring in terms of like the security guard that seems kind of a little too chill, or <laughs> the scientist who's like, well, the government didn't work out. And he seems okay with it. Um, but overall, as a story, as a narrative, I think this is a lot of fun, and I like it a lot. And, it, and again, it's really encouraging me to want to play it. But as so far, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, similar to what you said, like it has, there there are some holes in there and there's some kind of disconnects that I think we're looking at from a, an eye of, of 2020. Um, but it, in Black Mesa, I think some of these still exist, but I don't think that detracts completely from the narrative it's telling. I think it's just a tool that has to be used to push the story forward because there is no other way that they have designed in it to push the story forward. Um, that being said, I, I do. Yeah, I think it's like got this really interesting arc where you have this like rising action, and then you start to have some resolution. Then it rises action again, so it keeps getting more and more intense. And there's nowhere that feels safe, and right. this carries through for I think the rest of the experience. And I think that's what makes it so engaging is you're you're looking. You you have a lot of questions you want answered, 
you're not feeling safe and you're constantly feel like you're trying to solve problems, but you don't know what the solution is because everything you've tried seems to go poorly. And I also like that it isn't like a neat and clean experience, right? Like there is no, there's like some gray area where the scientists maybe were doing some shady stuff in causing this, but you know, they're getting hurt and you have to get out and help them. The Marines are doing some shady stuff and that they're killing the scientists. But again, the scientists were doing some shady stuff. So there's like this kind of gray area that I think they, it, it helps to live in that. And as we'll see that, that, that becomes a little bit more clear. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that. I really have no idea where the story is going to go now. I understand that he has to go find this supposed team that's going to help, but what can they possibly do in this situation that's going to help get everybody to safety? I just, I feel like this is going to take so many weird twists and turns, but in like good ways. Yeah. They're not going to be like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going way off on a limb here. Um, I'm just very curious to see where we could possibly go after that. Yeah, but I certainly think there's something to be said about not being able to guess what happens next because it already subverted your expectation, right? You were expecting something to go wrong with aliens, perhaps, because of all the things going on. You maybe weren't expecting Mm. that the Marines were more dangerous than the aliens, um, and now you have to escape from both of those things, and where does that go? And now you're left knowing, well, what? how do you get out of this situation? We know, because we're the player, that there's more story to experience, but where does it go from here and how do I get there? Yeah. Super interesting. I love when that happens. So I'm very excited. Gordon breaks his way through some debris using his handy crowbar and down the elevator into the old rail system. The rail cart seems to be working as he hops on one. As he moves through the rail system, swarms of aliens attack him. While fighting the aliens, the car crashes, sending him flying through the air as he lands into a pool of nuclear waste. His suit stops the damage from being fatal. He climbs through the vents until he reaches a large chamber containing a silo. Clicking of his GM detector means he needs to keep moving. The HEV suit can only keep him safe for so long in this kind of radiation. He climbs up to the service elevator and rides at the top of the silo. He is greeted by a host of alien life as he makes his way into the missile silo. A loud echoing bang can be heard from inside the walls. Inside the silo, Gordon comes across a scientist, slumped against the wall and bleeding. Fire the rocket engine! Destroy the damn thing before it grows any larger. The scientist falls to the ground, and Gordon makes his way into the silo observation chamber. As he enters, a large serpent-like alien arm with a massive talon breaks the glass window, impales and pulls the scientist in as he screams for help. As Gordon moves towards the entrance and inside the silo, a security guard hushes him and whispers, Be quiet. That thing can hear us. As you slide open the silo door, inside are three of these massive tentacles, slamming into the walls and the catwalks of the silo. Gordon throws some nearby grenades, distracting the creature as he sneaks past into another part of the silo. He knows he needs to turn on the oxygen, the fuel, and the generator to get this rocket going and kill the creature. Fighting through more aliens, Gordon activates the fan and the oxygen and the fuel pumps on the second level. As he heads back to the missile silo to activate the power generator, he climbs down a large elevator shaft down to the generator, where he is greeted by another scientist. Ah, Freeman! I hope no one expects me to start up the generator. Smithers went down there, and he never came back. (laughs) (laughs) This dude is so carefree. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so Smithers. That is so hilarious. (laughs) I hope you don't think I'm going down there. Smithers went down, he never came back. Like, this dude... 
definitely didn't like Smithers. <laughs> yeah, and again, there's more of this like kind of the the scientist the the comfort of the scientist is almost unnerving because it makes you feel like either they knew this could happen and are just kind of waiting to see or they're just all kind of unhinged individuals or something yeah yeah like you see two parallels here uh you see the one that's like taking it seriously dying trying to get this rocket going and then gets impaled and (laughs) killed by this monster then you see the other scientist who's just very carefree and, and does not want to help <laughs> as he knows that someone else has probably died and, and doesn't want that to happen to him. So it's just very, like, I mean, it's kind of cool. I actually, I mean, it's a little jarring yeah. when you see someone that's being so lighthearted, but I'm glad that not everybody's doing the same exact thing. And it does make me wonder, too, is, does this guy know more that's going on than we do? There's a reason why he's so comfortable in all this than we aren't. Yeah, I, I almost, it almost feels like, like those, like, baby steps towards portal where the seriousness is taken so far that it's it's almost humorous where they're playing with mm-hmm. this idea of lightheartedness in the face of like absolute terror to try and like have that disconnect be funny or interesting in some way i don't think they've quite landed it here whereas i think like in <laughs> portal they did a really good job of landing it but i think that's maybe what we're starting to see they're trying to add some lightheartedness to this really tense situation maybe um, but like you said, it is pretty jarring. And again, there are, uh, I think part of what makes it jarring is is the scientists we've ran into um, so far have been maybe a third or a quarter of the scientists in this game. Of the bodies you see strewn on the ground, of the scientists you run into who are just kind of standing scared. There's a scientist you see who's like hiding in a, in a, um, in a dumpster. And he's just like, please don't tell anyone who, where I am. And then aliens appear and he says... I think I need a change of pants. Like, like there's like that kind of stuff that's in here um, that like adds to that lightheartedness. And I think playing through the experience and getting all of those scientists in there makes that connection. But when we're trying to tell a, a kind of a tight story without those other pieces, it doesn't quite fit. That's that one. <laughs> I'm just picturing in my head. Oh, that's so funny. It's very good. It feels like it was like like it came from like a scary movie. Like, like literally the the series scary movie the comedy horror movies like it literally feels like it came from that that one quote of the change of pants yeah it's just funny yeah yeah yeah. but i think that that possibly is what they're doing i'm not sure i'm not sure um but yeah yeah gordon quickly activates the generator causing electricity to sparkle over the room as the machine powers on he heads back to the direction of the missile silo once again using grenades to trick the creature and sneak back up to the launch room Gordon fires the rocket engine. A massive stream of fire bursts forth, incinerating the creature, clearing the path to an old access shaft underneath. The access path is the only way for Gordon to get to the old rail system. I almost wish that Gordon like goes over, goes over to the old access shaft uh, and continues forward, and you just see the this this last scientist come out. And he's just staring, like, hmm, good for Gordon. <laughs> and then he looks over, and he's like, oh, Smithers, <laughs> I thought you were dead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, that'd be very good. After swimming through water used to cool the reactor and climbing through pipes, Gordon finds himself at the entrance of the old rail system. When he exits, he finds several Marines firing at a giant hulking alien. Its thick armor seems unaffected by their bullets. Using the distraction, Gordon quickly moves past it as it smashes the Marines to the pulp. As Gordon makes his way through the door, the creature sends a plume of fire into the chamber. Driving the close call, he makes it up to the track control room. Inside, a wounded guard weakly states, Mister, you can get the power on. That train will take us straight to the surface. I would try it myself, but 
It's a long way down to the generator, and there are things in the way. And we're seeing a theme here, right, of, of running into, like, dying scientists who are, <laughs> who are giving us advice on where to go forward. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense, I guess. From a, from a gamey perspective, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and I guess from a narrative perspective, it makes a little bit of sense, too. Mm-hmm. They do rely on it a lot. Yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. And, and again, I think it feels so frequent because of that's where the story beats are. Like, again, we're, we've, we've left out some gameplay stuff because it's really fun and interesting, but it doesn't always add as much to the story where there's more time between these things because this is like a three or four hour game. Um, mm-hmm. But because we're, we're moving things forward and this is the way they move things forward, that's kind of why I think it feels that way. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. As you make your way to the generator, the low rumble of the massive alien shakes the walls. Smaller aliens and marines attempt to block the way, but Gordon knows how to kill those and clears a path. He backtracks to the rail entrance, still not knowing how to take on the massive creature that blocks the path. When he arrives back in the tool room, the guard, now pale from blood, says, I'm never going to make it. You better go on without me. The power generator is out there. You'll have to outrun the creature, and then the guard lays, now still on the ground. He's napping, right? He's just taking a nap. He's very tired. <laughs> um, it's been a really long day. <laughs> <laughs> If what my mom tells me is true, and you lose a lot of blood, you just take a good nap. He's very tired, yeah. (laughs) You take a really, really, really long nap. And really, Gordon should, like, bring him something to get his blood sugar up, is what should have happened. (laughs) Here's an apple. (laughs) (laughs) He leaves it next to his body and walks Scientists and watchers, like, that's why we didn't treat that guy nicely. He's an idiot. Yeah, that's why he was the guy going in the chamber, because he... (laughs) (laughs) gordon quickly runs past the creature he can hear the slam of the steps behind him as he runs closer and closer with each massive step it moves closer to gordon he has to make it to the scaffold then maybe he'll be safe then he can make a new plan he quickly climbs up the scaffold another plume of fire shoots overhead the heat is just bearable gordon quickly activates the generators electricity fills the air the creature, now standing between the substations, began to roar louder and louder until a massive explosion sends parts of the creature all over the walls. Gordon makes his way back down to the rail system and towards the Lambda team. Gordon better go buy a lottery ticket after this whole thing. So lucky. He's a lucky dude. <laughs> <laughs> like many video game characters are. He's a very lucky dude. Yeah, he's got, he's got some really good plot armor um, keeping him safe <laughs> through all these things. Yeah, seriously. Gordon rides on the rail system through the old parts of the Black Mesa complex as he passes a guard post. The rail stops. Freeman, I've been waiting for you. One of your scientists pals said to give you a message. You're supposed to take this old rail system up to some kind of satellite delivery rocket. I don't know where it is exactly. The old guy was so worried about getting out of here alive, he didn't tell me. The main thing is the military aborted the launch. So when you find the rocket, you'll have to get up to the control and launch it yourself. He said something about the Lambda team needing a satellite in orbit they're able to clean up this mess. Freeman continues to ride through the rail system, fighting aliens and marines along the way. To launch the satellite, he'll need to make his way to the surface again. As he ascends, the marine presence gets heavier and more aggressive. They have locked down large parts of this facility and set up using checkpoints. With no other options, Gordon has to fight his way through. As he makes his way to the launch area, he finds a bunker with the words, Surrender Freeman, painted on the side. Without hesitation, Gordon has to push forward. Before entering the launch area, he overhears two Marines speaking. So, uh, who's this guy, Freeman? They say he was at Ground Zero. Science team? You think he was responsible? Sabotage, maybe? 
Yeah, maybe. All I know for sure is he's been killing my buddies. Oh, yeah. He'll pay. He will definitely pay. That is super interesting. Sorry, yeah. he's become like a boogie. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I, I wonder how they even know it's him. Like, right. How they know it's Freeman. Uh, how they got his name at all. Like, that's super cool. I, I, I like that this like guy, This like you would never think that Freeman is a capable guy at killing these aliens and these marines and he probably himself had no idea he could do all this so the idea that him becoming this like almost boogeyman that no one really knows anything about super cool i i I like that a lot yeah i agree i think it makes for a really interesting layer to the story where you're becoming like feared by these marines in some like Mm -hmm. really strange way i think that makes it really interesting and i think it helps develop the character when the character doesn't have a voice Gordon, without hesitation, kills both Marines and moves forward. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's jarring, right? You're, I mean, the thing is, is you're standing listening to these guys, and then you open the door, and you, you have to kill them. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right? I, I, I thought, I don't know what I was thinking, but like... No, I mean, it feels... The, one of the things that I think... I, I love this game. One of the things that I think that didn't age well is the um, pace of things, and, the, and so how some of the things move... Where, and again, storygoers, if you think maybe it has to do with my writing, please let me know. Um, because it might be, right? It might be in the way that I've, I've, I've taken this and, and distilled it down. But I think some of the things that age this game is those jarring moments when you meet scientists who they, you know, you didn't spend a lot of money on voice actors. So the voice actors just read it how the script said without, like, sounding terrified or scared. Um, yeah, yeah. You, like, these Marines are standing in your way. You have to move past them to get forward, so you have to kill them. But after you just sat and listened to what they're saying, so I think there are certainly some of those jarring moments in there. I just can't help but like picture this dude going, "Oh yeah, he'll pay. He'll <laughs> definitely pay." And as Gordon's behind the door, and he just blows some raspberries. Like okay. <laughs> he's like opens the door and shoots him down, and it's like it's, it's funny to me. No, it's I should be taking it more seriously. No, yeah, no, you don't. You don't have to be context. taking it any kind of seriously. It's totally fine. <laughs> I want to take it seriously, but yeah, it's funny that, that it happens. Like, you're trying to set this up as like, you know, these guys hate Gordon. Yeah, that is the thing they're trying to establish, yeah. Which they, I mean, they do it. Now I know, and I probably put the pieces together without this, but this is nice that we have this to like reinforce the ideal that these Marines now hate Gordon Freeman and they want him dead no matter what. Right, it's, it's working to make this story feel dynamic at the beginning they don't know who gordon freeman is now not only do they know who he is he's become this like a marine killing boogeyman yeah Um, there's there's a there's a there's shifts in the the world around you is changing and that's one of the things going forward is i think they do a really good job of making the world feel dynamic and shifting and changing over the course of the game um and over the course of the Mm -hmm. experience and i think that's further highlighted by the encounters that you run into. Like, there are certain places that are very alien-heavy, certain places that feel marine-heavy, and then certain places where they're battling it out. And that changes over the course of the game in a way that the things you're fighting are telling part of that story in an interesting way. Yeah. Again, again, it's another example of show, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess they kind of do tell. In this in this in case, those, yeah. Yeah, but in, in, the, in the circumstances when they're fighting each other, or they're, you know, like in that sort of situation, then yeah, you kind of... Yeah. Certainly, if they would have yeah. left like surrender Freeman as the only thing, that's that that's pure show don't tell. They really wanted to get this message across that the Marines hate him, so that's why they think they had the you listen to somebody talk type thing. 
Gordon sees the surrender free me. He's like, should I stop? <laughs> <laughs> Do these guys hate me? <laughs> why Why did they write my name on that bunker? It must be a different Freeman. <laughs> must be Jerry. Uh, don't worry about it. Gordon quickly kills both Marines and moves forward. He fights through a large encampment of soldiers guarding the satellite and eventually makes his way to the launch control room. As he's making his way through the vents, he overhears the Marines again. I didn't sign up on this shit. Monster, sure, but civilians? Who ordered this operation anyway? As they finish, Gordon drops from the vent, clears out the room, and launches the satellite. From the safety of the launch chamber, the rocket flies into the air, incinerating all Marines not in the protection of the bunker. With the missile safely launched, Gordon makes his way back down to the rail system and towards the Lambda Lab. The rail moves forward as Gordon makes his way to Lambda Lab. It starts to go faster and faster, and Gordon loses control, and the rail careens through a group of Marines through a metal door and crashes into a flooded silo. Gordon moves through the silo, fighting more aliens who seem to have bested the Marines in the area. As he moves through one flooded area of the silo to another, he enters the chamber just as the scientist is pulled into the water by some sea creature. Gordon quickly makes his way to the observation room above the flooded chamber where he finds a scared scientist. Did you see it? They said it was holed up from Challenger Deep, but I'm positive that beast never swam in terrestrial waters until a week ago. There's a tranquilizer gun in the shark tank. I'm not sure it would work on this species, but you're welcome to try. <laughs> Thanks. So brave, that Gordon Freeman. I just, oh man, now I'm getting anxious. I feel like all water levels just yeah. freak me out yeah. in video games. I can't, like, I think it came about from uh, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Like, you need to, like, swim as a Zora. So I was just taking a deep dive into something else. Uh, and all the monsters in the water just freak me out so yeah. bad. So, like, this is, or even, like, in ocarina of time with the monsters you have to fight in there anyway my point is that water levels are the worst um don't at me yeah water <laughs> levels are spooky you're i 100 with you there the 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 ocean and large bodies of water are just spooky and yeah in general yeah i mean we, we live in maine and there's sharks up here now <laughs> like what when did that happen yeah, yeah the water's warmer than they wanted to come up to i guess so <laughs> here for the delicious seals seeing the weapon in the cage gordon leaps as he does, he lands safely in the cage. But shortly after, after a creak, the rusty cage falls into the water. The underwater horror swims after Gordon, its mouth full of razor-sharp teeth. Gordon stumbles, but then quickly fires the tranquilizer into the creature. It stops and slowly floats towards the surface. After dealing with the creature, he makes his way forward. Moving through more scientists and aliens, traversing the ruins of this part of the complex, he finds another scientist. Gordon Freeman, it's you, isn't it? The science team has been tracking your progress with the Black Mesa security system. Unfortunately, so is the military. That suit of yours is full of tracking devices. Still, it's better than going naked through this place. It's cold in there. You'll have to hurry. It could sap your power in a matter of moments. If you're bent on reaching Lambda Complex, you'll want to keep to the older industrial areas, where the security system is full of holes. It's worked for me so far. The scientist opens the door. The cold air billows into the chamber. Gordon steps in can feel the cold seeping in through the suit. He can barely move, but he has to get through this room. If he stops, the suit will lose power, and he will die. He pushes forward. A few aliens attempt to slow him down, but using all the weapons at his disposal, ridding this place is easy. He arrives in an elevator. Another friendly face as a guard is waiting at the top. He starts speaking. Freeman, right? I've got a message for you. Make sure you don't... The guard falls to the ground. Gordon looks around. He doesn't see who may have killed the guard. He makes his way into a large outdoor warehouse. Appearing from nowhere is a black clad individual who begins to fire at Gordon. Gordon fires back, but they vanish. They appear again behind Gordon, 
This time, he fires a tranquilizer, and they fall to the ground. While he inspects the body to see who it might be, a bullet flies over his head, then another one. Gordon quickly finds cover and returns fire. He lobs a grenade in the direction and hears a scream to confirm to know that it landed. He quickly climbs some scaffolding, opens a large door, and makes his way inside an unsealed door. As he turns the corner to see a small room with some first aid, much needed after the ambush. As he steps into the room, Gordon is hit into the back of the head and falls to the ground. In and out of consciousness, he's dragged along the ground. He barely hears the Marines talking as he goes in and out of consciousness. Got him! Haha, <laughs> nice hit. All right, we got him. Where are we taking this Freeman guy? Top side for questioning. What the hell for? We got him. Let's kill him now. Uh, and if they find the body? Body? What body? And that's where we're going to end it for this episode. Oh, no. Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, Oh, wow. So, okay. So he's been taken. This is very reminiscent. Spoilers for Portal. Yeah. I'll give you a moment. Uh, this is very reminiscent of the end of Portal. Yeah. Which is uh, very cool. I like this. So, oh, man, yeah. Oh, what's going to happen? He's going to land the team, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Is there any, without giving too much detail yeah. away, is there any significance to this black-clad individual that he tranquilizes? So the only significance is they, um, there is no, like, in-game significance. There is, like, context clue. This black-clad individual is basically just dressed up as, like, a spec ops individual. Um, mm. So they have, like, a, a special visor on, and they can, like, vanish and do flips in the air. But as far as a narrative perspective, no. It's just, like, here's another new kind of enemy you've never seen before that for some reason... So now not only are the Marines after Gordon, they've spent, like, special ops in to specifically capture him. Oh, That's wow. just kind of ramping up this, that he needs to be captured. He is the problem. Okay, cool. All right. I'm glad that I asked that. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if it story goers, if it's not obvious, this will be a two part yes. episode. Yes, it will. Yeah, we'll release next. Uh, release the second half of this next week, next Sunday. Uh, yes, I think we should probably say that too. Sundays are our days that we're going to release. Yes, Sunday's a great day. Then you can check it out on Sunday, or you have the whole week as you commute into work, week. or you do whatever you want to do to to kind of listen and, and uh, you have a whole week to listen, and then we'll release that again that following Sunday, giving you plenty of time. Yeah. Um, and the whole work week to kind of listen as you work or listen as you drive or listen as you run or however you want to, however you best listen. Listen as you listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we have some really cool ideas coming to, uh, especially for next month. We'll yes. keep those till later this yeah. month, I think. Yeah. Until we can iron them all out. But yeah. Um, so I, I guess I should ask this, uh, Ryan, so far in this story, granted you wrote this whole thing, so, uh, but how do you feel so far about this whole thing? I feel good. I think, like like we've talked about before, it has a lot of interesting shifts and changes that I think, especially given the time it came out, feel really different, and they're flipping those expectations. Similar when we talked about The Last of Us, um, and even Bioshock to some extent, where you have, as a player, you have an expectation of how the game is going to go, and you have like this arc of, oh, no aliens are here, oh, the Marines are here, oh, we've done it, we've defeated the aliens, we saved the day, right? Where that is like clearly not what's happening. That's clearly not yeah. the story that they're telling. Um, they're trying to tell something different. And I think, as as you can see, they're, they're trying to tackle a lot of stuff. There's a lot of lot of moving things that are happening. And But I, I think overall I really enjoy it. I enjoy the the narrative that it's trying to tell. The vehicle, I think, is, is a little bit um, janky in some ways because I think of the age of the game and that like the only way you're told things is from 
scientists and guards who happen to be in the right place mm-hmm. at the right time. But this last thing where they say, hey, they've been tracking you, that kind of helps a little bit to, to fill in that gap because not only that's why the Marines can always find you, that's right. that's why the scientists know where you are. That's how they know where to send these people to, to give you this bit of information is because they are tracking you in some way. That's a cool little touch yeah. too. I was really smart of them to add that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, but what about you? What do you what do you think? How how's it feeling so far? I like the story a lot so far. I think it's a lot of fun. I really want to know what's going to happen next. Um, and I don't just say that because this is our podcast. <laughs> I legitimately actually really excited to see what happens. I'm I'm curious if. Gordon will be able to wake up before he is questioned, and I wonder what that would even look like, and where the story could possibly go from here. Like, will they just abandon Black Mesa altogether, and we'll be in a whole new location? Like, this is—I feel like this story could just go anywhere. So, this is actually a great spot to stop at. Good, good, good pick. Thanks. It felt like a, a kind of—it's a, a, a moment in the game. Uh, it also happens to be about halfway through the game, but it's a moment in the game <laughs> with which, like you have no idea what's going to happen next and like you want to know where gordon is going like i think if this was another game series and it was long enough this and it was the year like 2010 they would have ended the game right here um and like <laughs> we had you wait for the next one um type situation kind of like what portal did yeah yeah exactly sense, yeah and yeah. again it's really reminiscent of portal and portal came after but it's still very reminiscent of those there's a lot of those same themes that are going throughout it yeah, but I mean, overall, I like the story a lot. I will uh, have to ask you though: uh, Do we ever see Smithers? Um, so, I, what I'll say is, uh, play the game, and you <laughs> will find out exactly what happens to Smithers. No. Yes, you sure do. Are you are you are you being serious? I'm being, being funny. I'm being dead serious. <laughs> if, there there is what? something that I I left it out because uh, it it is just kind of like a throwaway, uh, silly moment, but. Yeah, Smithers is there, and um, if you want to go check the game out, it's in the section that's called Blast Pit. Um, you get to you get to meet into meet Smithers, um, and have an experience with Smithers. This sounds like a setup that we <laughs> had, but I legitimately had no idea <laughs> that's the case. So um, I will definitely have to play that. Yeah, yeah, that is so funny. Okay, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, so uh, next week will be our part two of Half Life slash Black Mesa. Mm-hmm. And after that, I'm not gonna tell you yet. Yeah. I, we already know what it is. Leave it up to it's, it's it'll away. be mystery. You'll have to wait and see. If you thought we wouldn't play another cartridge-based game again so soon, then you would be right. <laughs> if you were in a parallel universe, then because you're oh, wrong. Oh man, what a twist! <laughs> oh, what twist a twist, twist! Right? Because it is. See, Gabe, we can do it too. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> oh no, I don't want to say spoilers. But, um, but yeah, I, I will say it is a cartridge-based game. That's all I'll say though. Yeah. So other than that, I think uh, we'll end it there. And thank you again for watching. Remember, please, uh, we're so happy with people are listening to our podcast. But for for the love of Smithers, if you'll just send us your perspectives (laughs) (laughs) on these games, we'd really appreciate it. Not to sound like I'm desperate. (laughs) Let us know what you think happened to Smithers. Yeah. Don't don't spoil it for me though. I need to go <laughs> play. <fair. laughs> I have a week to play it before I, I, I potentially get spoiled. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, tales from the cartridge at gmail.com. All of the e's are threes. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, DM us. Let us know what you think. And until then, we will see you next time for our next story. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>